Hello listeners, welcome back to another episode of Quote Unquote with KK. Today we are talking about the great resignation pandemic. If you've been watching the media, there have been a lot of coverage on why people are quitting their jobs. In fact, one of the professors at University of Texas called it the great resignation. And rightly so, as millions of people across the world are quitting their jobs. And some economists are saying that this is like a strikeover a strike wave in October 2021. To dissect all this and to understand why people are quitting jobs, is it going to be a short-term or a long-term issue? I have called back Rajiv Peshwarya, who had talked about leadership and future work in our first season, and he's going to help us understand the key issues around the great resignation or the big quit. Let me reintroduce you to Rajiv. Rajiv has been the CEO of Stewardship Asia Center in Singapore, a coach and a thought leader in the space of human resources and leadership. Rajiv was the chief learning officer at Coca-Cola and Morgan Stanley and has held senior positions. I've known Rajiv for several years and whenever he has come to India and talked about his books and his thought leadership, he had got in a couple of key points in our last podcast not being reverberated by the leadership in the corporate world and hence why people are quitting. So let's roll back and I would urge you to even listen to the last podcast that we have recorded with Rajiv last year and also hear on the issues that have been followed on from our last podcast with Rajiv to this issue of the great resignation pandemic. Welcome back, Rajiv, on Quote Unquote with KK. It's a pleasure to have you back on our podcast. Rajiv, a lot has happened in the last one year since we had our last podcast, and there were several key takeaways that we discussed. Apparently, it seems to have fallen on deaf ears with the corporate leadership. And now what we are seeing is the great resignation pandemic. What happened? I would love to hear from your side, your opening comments, and then we can dive deeper and introspect and analyze and see what the solutions in the way forward are. Uh, thank you, Kapil. Great to be with you again. And, uh, you know, actually, we spoke more than two years ago before the pandemic started. And I was making the case that if you give people more flexibility, actually, productivity will go up, not down. And if you remember, the case I made was that in any organization, 20% of the people are top performers, 60% are solid citizens in the middle. They do good work, but work is not their only priority. And then 20% at the other end, of the spectrum, just live to uh, work to live, just to pay the bills. And whatever you try, the distribution is going to be this bell curve. It cannot be anything else. Uh, the other thing we said was that the top 20% of the performers produce 80% of the result. So I had argued with you that if you allow people the flexibility to work as much as they want, as little as they want, and declare where they want to be on the curve. You want to be in the top 20%, you will be paid and rewarded accordingly. You want to be in the middle 60, you will be paid accordingly. If you want to do minimum work, you will be paid minimum. Give them that flexibility. Let them choose, but make sure that they uh, do what is the minimum required. Otherwise, they will be fired. With this kind of uh, freedom, actually, everybody is happier and productivity goes up because 80% is already uh, guaranteed by the top 20%, right? And uh, before the pandemic, nobody listened to this idea. And then comes the pandemic and everybody starts working remotely. Now you cannot control people even if you want to. And suddenly that article of mine I had written, which we had discussed the last time, has gotten thousands and thousands of hits because suddenly now, you know, this idea of this performance management in the digital age, which I'm describing, where give freedom rather than control has caught on. So 
Interesting. So, Rajiv, we did predict this. It's happening. It's a reality. So, I was coming back was that the corporate leadership has not paid heed to some of the thoughts and ideas that we have provided. And obviously, there is also your lessons that you have learned from the Lehman crisis where people were fearing jobs will go away because of whatever reasons of the economy. And here, people are voluntarily resigning. How do you draw these parallels for the leadership to see that there is business continuity now? You know, whenever there is a crisis, whenever crisis hits, humanity at large goes into two modes. One is generously helping others. Uh, and two is reflection about who am I. Uh, so when tragedy hits, it touches our hearts and we are generously helpful to other people. But when uh, that uh, crisis or tragedy goes away, we are not good at uh, helping other people generously on a run of the mill Monday. Same with uh, whenever the exi an existential crisis exists, uh, hits us, we become reflected. Who am I? Why am I in this world? What should I do with my life? But we don't do such reflection as well in normal times. So I think the, the 08 uh, great financial crisis and now the COVID-19 pandemic is very similar in that sense. Everybody is reflecting on who I am, who am I and what's my role in the world and also uh, generously helping one another. Yeah, coming to that, Rajiv, I also want to recall one more point we talked about, you know, the long-term purpose and the short-term purpose and the profit motive uh, in the short run as well as the long run. Have corporates and employers debunked all this, thinking that in the new normal, things will be back to the old ways and they didn't need to do anything? And this is why they are suffering with this whole re the great resignation pandemic? I, I don't think so, actually, because I think if anything, what the what the COVID-19 pandemic has done is actually made organizations realize that, you know, you cannot ignore the challenges that planet Earth and humanity are facing. When I say uh, challenges of planet Earth, I mean uh, climate change. I mean um, income inequality and social unrest and things like that. In fact, I think more and more organizations and leaders are realizing that the leadership challenge of the 21st century is to find business models that drive profitable growth by addressing the very challenges, not by sidestepping the challenges. So I don't think that they, they have forgotten that. I think if anything, that's been reinforced. I do believe that the great resignation that we are talking about is because of very different reasons. What are those according to you? So, you know, in some countries it is because at the lower end of the, of the scale, uh, it is it is better to sit on government doles and rather than go back to work. It's more profitable to do that because checks were coming in the mail. Uh, so that is one of the reasons in, in some countries. Uh, the other thing is that, you know, people, what the pandemic has made people realize as what we were talking about earlier is that, you know, in the gig economy, I can do two or three different things, make more money and still have all the flexibility in the world. So I think uh, the main two reasons for, for, for this resignation a is that uh, people uh, have understood that I can make money while still being flexible. Uh, and B, that, you know, in some cases, uh, why should I go back to work when the government is giving me money? So according to you, some people just want to be lazy enough and enjoy on the minimum government dole. And there is another batch of people who want to do more in the time that they want they have and be much more flexible and enjoy the work. Is that correct? That's that's absolutely right, because what the pandemic taught us is that work can be flexible for a lot of people. Uh, so they think, why don't I find gigs which allow me this flexibility? Why should I go back to uh, the run of the mill job? Now, there is a percentage of people where I mentioned earlier, as I mentioned earlier, uh, crises makes you reflective. So there is a percentage of people who have asked themselves the question, OK, what is my purpose? 
and does my what are my values and do my values and purpose gel with the company that I'm working for? If not, hey, I'm going to look for something. Else. So I, let's Go say on. there are three reasons. One is that whole purpose thing uh, because I've had the chance to reflect. The biggest reason is flexibility. Why don't I do things which give me flexibility? I don't have to have a nine to five. I don't have to have a boss. I do what I want, but yet I get paid. And the third is uh, in some cases, you know, the government checks were bigger than what they were making when they went back to work. Okay. So minim- less than minimum wage earners are saying that, why do I need to work? Yeah. As long as the government is paying me money, especially in the US, that was the case. Okay. You are a, you're a, you're a frontline worker. Clearly, uh, what you were getting sitting at home was more than what you would make. Right. Rajiv, I want to discuss about the length of this whole great resignation pandemic. There are certain people who have predicted this, saying that it will last for five years because of the structural changes towards uh, digital. And we spoke about this also in our last podcast with you. And some people are saying it is just uh, another six months and people will come back to their jobs or search for a regular full-time job because they'll get bored now that the economy has opened up, things are in back to normal and, and so on and so forth. What is your view? Is this flexible work schedule of people here to stay or is this going to just go back to the way it was pre-COVID era? I don't think it will go back to pre-COVID era. I think we are going through a major tectonic shift, uh, both in terms of uh, science and technology and therefore its impact on the nature of work. Right. Uh, when I say tectonic shift, we, we are in the very early stages of understanding uh, the interplay between digital and physical, because, you know, right now we are in, uh, at a tectonic shift. For a, an example of a tectonic shift in history was when electricity was invented or when the right. railroad was invented. Everything changed because of electricity or because of the railroad. And then when the Internet became mainstream, that was another tectonic shift. Today, we are on the cusp of merging the digital and physical, and we are only scraping the surface. That has implications in biotech. That has implications in everything uh, from and physical as the physical and digital starts merging. So in any such tectonic shift, what happens is it has a very profound effect on the nature of work and the jobs itself. So I don't think this resignation is a pandemic itself. It is just the adjustment that the workforce is doing to this new normal, which is the interplay of digital and physical. Excellent. We will touch upon the digital part a little bit later in our podcast, but I'd like to take up a few more important topics that we had discussed last time, and it's now actually a reality. And I wanted to talk about, we talked about a lot on the culture in our last Mm -hmm. podcast and organization resilience. Mm-hmm. Have organizations actually started actioning this out in terms of changing their culture towards this whole new normal, the gig workforce, the flexibility, or are they still wanting to go back to the old ways of working? And this is where people, the employees want more flexibility and more work from home and remote working and so on and so forth, which obviously is not gelling well with the way the organizations want to run their workforce. Yeah, uh, so uh, I, I believe that there are there are different types of people and different types of leaders here. Uh, again, the 2060-20 applies, right? 20% of the leaders and 20% of the organizations are getting it, that this is going to be the new normal and we better respond in a way that flexibility is the norm. And they are not scared of it because, you know, as we discussed last time, if you actually give more trust and more flexibility to people, productivity goes up, not down. Uh, 
So 20% of the people are making the cultural shift. And I'll come back to the culture shift as to how they are doing it in a second. 60% are sort of in the middle, still on the fence, you know, yeah, let's see what happens, blah, blah, blah. They haven't jumped in yet. And 20% clearly have their head in the sand. Uh, the, the old normal will come back. So we see all types of companies and all types of leaders here. The ones that are getting it right, what they have realized is that, look, this generation, uh, millennial generation and younger, they are what we call the purpose economy or the purpose generation. For them, meaning is more important than money. And they don't like to be controlled as much, right? Uh, that doesn't mean that they are lazy. That doesn't mean that they are not want, they don't want to produce results, but they want to produce results with freedom. So the top 20% of the companies that are getting it right, they are saying, okay, let the organization have a purpose bigger than just shareholder wealth. So to, you, you cannot attract the top talent today by saying, come, let's provide the highest ROE on Wall Street. Nobody will come and work for you with that kind of a purpose. You have to have a purpose that addresses the challenge that humanity is facing today and, and finding ways to make money with that because that's what will attract it. So, and then based on that purpose, they are also saying, these are certain values that we will live by every day. What is culture? Culture is living by certain values versus other values and pursuing a purpose. That together becomes your culture, right? So the top 20% of the companies that are understanding the tectonic shifts are really questioning what values should we pursue as an organization. And uh, one of the things that COVID has taught us is that no one is safe until everyone is safe. So values like interdependence, values like long-term view, uh, etc., are, are are being looked at by these kinds of companies. And they're saying that we will live by such values, such collective values, and we will have a purpose that creates a collective better future. They are the ones who will thrive. Um, and uh, those who are still uh, with their sand in their head, I feel for them. I don't think uh, they will thrive too long. Rajiv, in this last statement of yours, you've actually given the whole solution what the corporate and employers need to do. It is now a focus on culture and alignment. Is that true? Oh, absolutely right. So we are now talking about uh, the best people, leaders in, in business today are becoming what we call steward leaders, not just any kind of leaders, but steward leaders. Steward leadership is the genuine desire and persistence to create a collective better field. That's what we call steward leader. And steward leadership says that there are four values, interdependence, long-term view, ownership mentality, and creative resilience. Because if you want to make money by addressing the challenges humanity is facing, you're going to need a lot of innovation. You're going to have long-term stay. And so they are imbibing those values into their performance management system, into the pay and reward system, etc. And based on those values, they are giving themselves a purpose, which is bigger than just shareholder wealth, which takes care of the needs of other sectors as well, environment, future generations, etc. And that is the kind of culture and direction they are setting for their organization. And they are the ones who are thriving. We saw through COVID, those who believed and, and acted on such values and such purpose did better through the pandemic. And those that didn't actually closed out. Uh, we saw this all over the world. Rajiv, I don't want to talk about the success stories because you have been doing a lot of leadership, excellence, training, and you, you're mentoring a lot of people. I want to take up a failure story and understand, you know, what could have been done better in those situations and how could organizations which have now sunk in the sand have to do a massive turnaround, otherwise they're extinct. Well, uh, so, you know, uh, the sad thing is that sometimes these big companies who who do it the wrong way don't die because, you know, they have either monopolistic or dualistic powers. Uh, but what we are seeing is that if if you don't stand for the right values and purpose as an organization today, and if the customer has a choice, they will not buy your product. 
In fact, my research is now telling us that customers in some many cases are willing to pay a premium for your competitor's product if it is sustainably sourced, right? Okay. Uh, so uh, so uh, it, it's all over the place. I'll give you an example of companies that d- didn't die even though they did horrible things. Uh, Boeing, for example. Correct. Right? Now, the, we live in a world where ordinary people are very empowered and information is rampantly free and available. So when Boeing knowingly went into the 737 MAX production, knowing that it was unsafe, knowing that it was violating their own values, because Boeing values are start with engineering first. And the second values, it talks about safety. They violated their own values. Well, the market paid, they paid a price because for, for one year, their, their market share went down by, uh, revenue went down by 90%. Correct. But then they are bouncing back now. Whereas there are many other organizations that didn't do the right thing and they, they collapsed. Eventually, what will, ha- what will happen is that such cases will collapse quicker. As, as, as power to the individual through connectivity gets even more rampant, uh, it, 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 such, such kind of behavior will not last. Enron finally lost it in the end Correct. because they went too far beyond. Uh, Boeing is lucky that they are a duopoly right now. Uh, but, uh, you know, with this kind of behavior, companies which have a, industries which have a lot of competition, they will definitely not survive. Rajiv, very pertinent question that is coming from various economists and, and analysts is uh, the impact of this great resignation and this whole resol- revolving door phenomena of now rehiring and whatnot. And obviously, during the pandemic, this whole supply chain was disrupted. So growth was dif- disrupted. And now with people leaving, a lot of the people are saying that this could lead into a great depression where the scale up is not going to happen. Goods and services would not be value added because employees are not there to do the job. Is this a real crisis in the brewing where we could see a bigger depression, a degrowth in the global economy? You mean the resignation itself? Yeah, people leaving. So there are no people to actually do the jobs. I, I don't think so. I think that we are seeing, as I mentioned earlier, is that this great tectonic shift we are seeing because of which there is an adju- adjustment in the labor market, right? Either people are demanding more flexibility or they are asking themselves what I want to do, or it is about I don't have the skills for the new economy. In every tectonic shift, you've had dips like this in employment and in uh, because structural shift because the, the, the skills are not matching what is required. Uh, but eventually, every turn of technology has created more jobs than it has uh, lost. But this is, there is an adjustment period in the middle, and I believe that's what we're going around. The resignation in itself, I'm not so worried about because it cannot last. I don't think people can sit at home forever. Uh, you know, uh, so I don't believe that this is going to lead to a depression. I don't believe, I mean, uh, you know, the job market in many countries, including the U.S., is hot, hot, hot right now. Uh, I was just reading that in France, more people are back in the workforce than they were before the p- pandemic. Okay. Uh, this is the latest article by in, in FT I read just yesterday. So, no. uh, you know, I don't think that this is going to lead to any depression. I don't believe resignation is a pandemic in itself. It's a passing phase. It is a adjustment taking place for a whole variety of reasons. Right. Aji, I want to shift gears and talk about the whole issue of stress and mental health. And there was a survey conducted by Marsh Insurance Brokers in India, mm-hmm. and they actually came out with some very startling numbers that mm. 59% of Indian employees are mm-hmm. feeling more stressed every day mm. and and organizations are not doing enough mm. to alleviate that situation both during the pandemic and now post-pandemic in the new normal. 
Mm. And they have compared these numbers with various other economies in Asia and the whole rest of the world or the, the global numbers. And, and one of the things that another survey talked about is people are leaving jobs because the employers during the pandemic did not care about their stress and mental health and they're feeling left alone. Mm-hmm. Now, these are very, very challenging situations and organizations I guess, have to look at employee well-being and mental health. Are these things very important and that now employers need to really focus? It's not just the wage, but it's also soft issues like how the mental health of the employee and how the engagement of the employee reduces their mental health and stress with their organization and their work. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, uh, employment is is, 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 is the, the very nature of employment is changing. 40% of the workforce today in many countries is already in the gig economy, where they have a lot of freedom, where they have a lot of flexibility. So if companies do not provide the same kind of freedom and flexibility to full-time employees, they're in for trouble. Uh, this idea of stress, uh, you have to focus on issues of mental health for sure. You have to focus on issues of, you know, overall well-being of the employees, not just um, paying them a high wage. Uh, because that high wage can be earned elsewhere as well. So that's one. For sure, your point that uh, the organizations need to pay attention to these things, absolutely, and the best ones are. The uh, other issue about stress is, you know, these numbers and surveys, 59% of Indian employees are feeling stress, and then and in similar numbers all over the world. And the question is, what is stress? And how are you using your employee development dollars or to address this? You see, that if I have no clue about, I come back to the same idea of purpose and values. If I have no clue about what my values are and what my purpose in life is, right? Uh, anybody who treats me badly will stress me out. Anybody who doesn't, uh, you know, uh, do what I think is to be the right thing to do will, will stress me out. What is stress? Stress is, you cannot stress me until I allow myself to get stressed, right? And uh, people with, uh, with the control over their own values and over their own purpose, uh, they realize that whatever Kapil says to me, you hurl a set of abuses to me right now, I can choose to take it inside my heart and then, and my head and allow my mirror neurons to get really angry and to hurl abuses back to you. Or I can decide that I won't let it enter my body. And people with clarity of values and purpose uh, are the ones who can who have that kind of control. And what organizations need to do is rethink uh, their training and development and overall uh, money that they spend on employee welfare and development and teach people how to understand what their purpose and what their values are and how does that fit into the company's purpose and value. A, provide a larger purpose that I, I, I feel proud of working here because my company is doing this thing for the world. And B, make me realize that, you know, I can find my own long-lasting energy by finding my own and I can become fully independent. You know, we talk about three levels of emotional development. One is dependence, where when we are born as young kids, we are uh, dependent on our parents and our family for everything, including basic physical needs. Correct. As we grow up, some of us become physically strong, but we still remain mentally dependent. But eventually, some of us discover a purpose in life and we become interdependent. Now, I am not dependent on society, but I, am, I, I have a purpose that does something. So I am interdependent with us. The highest level of, of emotional development is when I become truly independent. And then nobody can stress me. That this is when I learn, besides having purpose and values and purpose of life, I also understand things like forgiveness. I understand things like gratitude. Uh, I think understand things like acceptance. When you get to that level of uh, emotional maturity, now you are truly independent and you can never be stressed. So 
the whole leadership development industry needs to change to to cater to people so raising the conscious level of their employees to that highest level of independence but what instead what we do we spend training dollars millions and millions of dollars on formulaic things step one step two step three of this process or that process which is totally formulaic and totally academic so yes uh, we have to address issues of uh, organizational uh, stress etc and individual stress but how do you address it by getting people to that level of independence that's well put jeev i wanted to bring a few thoughts on you on your side in terms of various sectors that have been severely affected due to covid and some sectors that actually boomed during the covid time so you know things like aviation things like uh, tourism things like hotel industry and many others they were severely affected due to long periods lockdown and obviously employers and employees alike were very concerned and that also led to a lot of stress about the future of their their sector and their mm-hmm. organizations in that sector and their own individual future and how do you think these sectors are going to rebuild the confidence of the employees that you know all is back and nothing is lost and so that employees don't feel that fear of layoffs and other Uh, you know stress that some of these people have gone through hmm. yeah so you know the sectors that were more badly hit by the crisis it, it, there are two two types of players in that those that did this with clear conscience and uh, you know when you are when you are totally hit and when your revenue is down to zero you obviously have uh, the harsh reality that you have to lay off some people and you got to cut costs and things like that uh, so some of the business realities you can't give away but by being business exists to make a profit at the end of the day we can't this is not a charity so you can't you know continue to have high levels of employment when there's zero revenue but the way you deal with it makes the difference so there's two kinds of companies we see in the hardest hit sectors those that did it with a good conscience with the right values they supported their employees as far as possible they did everything in their power and when they couldn't do it anymore they did it in a very very humane way and then those that didn't care about how the employee felt they literally made financial decisions based on pure uh, you know numbers and and did not care about all the employees those are the ones that are going to have a harder time uh, coming back as the uh, uh, as the sectors open up because you have damaged your reputation and now the best talent is not going to come back because we know how you treated us at that time the best talent is going to go towards the companies that treated their employees with respect and dignity and did as much as possible employees understand that when there is no money to be uh, made when there's absolutely no money you can't pay me my salary but the question is how did you deal at that time one bigger issue especially in frontline industries where i have been involved like healthcare and uh, digital which were booming during the pandemic stage was that there was enough work and lot of stress and now when things are back to normal a lot of of the people feel burnt out and they want mm-hmm. to make a lateral shift into other sectors safer sectors according to them or they want to just take a break mm-hmm. is this also something that is contributing to this whole resignation phase of what we are talking as the great resignation pandemic i absolutely because the you know we are seeing a misalignment of compensation and benefits if you expect frontline workers to risk their lives and be on the job and you pay them lower than you know other sectors of the work where you can sit at home and do the work obviously people are going to say why the hell am i doing this why am i taking this kind of physical abuse on my body for peanuts when i can sit at home uh, and and create an app and make more money 
So I think this misalignment of uh, Compen Ben is something that is currently underway. This will itself, this will also correct itself uh, because it has to. You can't have a world where there are not enough people going into the medical field, for example. But we, have, we need to pay our, our, our doctors and our nurses and our teachers a lot more. And that the market will adjust. Um, and in some cases, it is the lack of skills because, you know, uh, there are a lot of people who are left on the wrong side of the digital divide. They are saying, okay, maybe I should take a break from my menial work and whatever savings I have, I go take some digital courses, uh, courses in technology so that I can then come back to the workforce in a different sector. Again, it's all part of that tectonic shift. That's so this is the big churn. It's a big churn. It is as big a churn as invention of electricity. And I'm not talking about the COVID crisis alone. COVID crisis has exasperated and accelerated uh, the churn. But what the real uh, sort of churn or turn we are talking about, a tectonic shift we are talking about, is this digital and physical coming together. Even I, without I, the pandemic, we would have seen a huge uh, shift in the way of work. Um, but what, what, what COVID has done has accelerated that. Ajay, I want to touch on a very important topic which we discussed, the pay for performance and rightly aligning uh, the work to the performance and and the compensation mm -hmm. we discussed about it in our last podcast mm -hmm. is this something that a new science and a new theory has to now emerge in terms of the pay for performance that you talked about and do we reimagine how the workforce now has to be compensated it is just not driven towards the bottom line or the profits the company makes or it's not just the work of the number of hours or other metrics that employers used to use in uh, the physical era. Mm -hmm. How would the digital era now have to redefine this pay for performance? Yeah, so, you know, we call, uh, I call this freedom within the framework. You have to change performance management systems into something called freedom within the framework. But before I explain what that is, uh, let me say one thing. It's not about profit. Companies have to make a profit. So it's not about, you know, giving people flexibility and making less profit. It's not about giving people more pay and benefits and making less profit. No, that cannot happen. That is not realistic. Let's be very clear. Business exists to make a profit. But here's the beauty. If you give people more flexibility, which is what they are asking for, otherwise they will go to the gig economy, you are actually going to have increased productivity and therefore higher profit. So what does freedom within the framework kind of, I'll send you an article on this that I wrote, which is gaining a bit of traction these days. Basically, what we are saying is coming back to that 2060-20, you tell people, listen, you have total flexibility about how much you want to work and how little you want to work. If you want to get the maximum pay and get, get promoted and make money maximum possible in this company, then be a top 20 performer. And this is what it takes to get here. But it's your choice if you want to work that much. If you want to be a solid citizen, you want to work hard, but don't want to work. Work is not your only priority in life. You have some other priorities also. Okay, fine. Tell us that you want to be that uh, solid citizen in the middle 60%. We will pay you accordingly. It's your choice. If you really think that your passion in life is music and drama, but you're working in this company to pay the bills, you your contract with us is minimum work, minimum pay. But remember, if you fall below the minimum, we will fire you. So now you're giving people the whole power and flexibility to say, choose where you want to be on this 20-60-20 curve. And you pay people accordingly. Companies say we pay for performance and then they try to make everybody into a super performer. That's not possible because the curve will always be 20-60. And then, uh, you know, uh, because of lack of transparency, the people on the other end of the curve say, but I performed well. Why aren't you paying me more? Well, in, if you make compensation benefits and, and KPIs completely transparent and let people choose and tell them, I'm giving you this freedom, 
but it is your responsibility to show me the results. And if there is a difference of opinion on whether you are top 20, middle 60 or bottom 20, my say matters in the end. So you want the freedom, you have it, but you've got to earn my trust and give me the performance in your chosen sector. So in the top 20, you're going to give me top 20 performance. These are the key. In the middle 60, this is the KPIs. In the bottom 20, this is the minimum. If you get beyond this, below this minimum, we will fire you. Now it's up to you. With freedom comes responsibility. What happens is the top 20% already guarantee 80% of performance, which is the 80-20 rule from 1906. I didn't make it up, but Wilfredo Pareto did uh, with research. Uh, and the middle 60 and the bottom 20, now instead of uh, feeling stressed and, and pushed by management, they are working according to their own chosen uh, preference. They work with less stress and more happiness. So overall productivity goes up, not down. This is the new performance management system that companies need to adopt in the digital age. And as COVID has shown us in a remote working environment, which is going to be the norm, uh, there's going to be a hybrid working environment. Uh, nobody, not 100% back to work is not going to happen, right? You cannot control even if you want to. So provide freedom within the framework and put the responsibility on the workforce. You tell me that you are valuable to the company. I give you all the freedom, but you will be paid and promoted or punished accordingly. Rajiv, a very pertinent issue which you talked about the happiness of the employee. Mm -hmm. Several countries now have got happiness ministry. Mm -hmm. Some companies have also started inducting a CXO called the chief happiness officer who basically looks into the overall happiness, just not the employee, but the leadership, but the wider community in which they operate and the consumer. Is this going to be a redefinition of what are CXOs in an open gig economy organization led uh, companies and employers going to look like? Well, it depends on how they are defining happiness. You know, it, it, every time, every now, every now and then a new fad comes and these days it's all about happiness. It's all about purpose. Uh, and the way companies are defining purpose is all wrong, by the way. You know, just because you are defining a purpose doesn't mean that uh, you're, you're a great company. But I'll come back to that later. Depends on how they are defining happiness. We have uh, misunderstood happiness uh, for uh, ever since you know humanity first started, we think happy. So we tend to keep postponing our happiness. Oh, when I get rich, I'll be happy. When I get promoted, I'll be happy. When I get a big house, I'll be happy. When I get a life partner who loves me unconditionally, I'll be happy. And all these kinds of things. So we either keep postponing happiness, we or we live in the past, or we live in the future, but we don't live in the present. The people who are the happiest are not necessarily the richest people or the most materially successful people. The people who are the happiest in the world, again, comes down to two things. I know my values and I'm willing to live by these values no matter what, even if it's inconvenient. And I know my purpose. I'm here to serve a purpose. If that pursuit of the purpose itself gives them happiness, living the values itself gives them their happiness because whether you, they achieve it or not is in God's hand. We don't know whether we will or not. So they learn to enjoy the journey itself. So happiness comes from knowing your values and pursuing a purpose based on those values. If you have a chief happiness officer in the company that is throwing parties and on Fridays and sending pizzas and doing fun events <laughs> and this, that and the other, that kind of nonsense doesn't work. Right. Rajiv, I want to shift gears onto a digital side of things. Mm -hmm. One of the things we talked about was the attrition rate and lack or shortage of digital workforce around the world. And we have mm -hmm. talked about this in several of our other podcasts also prior to mm -hmm. this. And one of the challenges now organizations are facing is adequate trained workforce for digital. Mm -hmm. And where are we going to get them in the future? as the more digitization accelerates the pace of acceptance 
into the mainstream physical world of our corporate and employers. How are we going to cope up with this shortage? It's a huge yeah. supply chain issue. It's yeah. a huge yeah. business model execution issue. It's there are a lot of issues yeah. that could actually lead to failure of corporates and their business models. Yeah, true. And it's no different from any other technology shifts in the past. So, you know, when we went from the agrarian economy to a mechanical economy, economy, there was a huge displacement. Lots and lots of jobs were lost and many companies got wiped out. They couldn't understand mechanical. When we went from mechanical to electrical, again, the same thing happened. Many companies were wiped out. Millions of jobs got lost. But those who got it right is one who invested in their employee education early. From electrical, we went to digital. And from digital, we went to, uh, we are now going to what I call DG physical which is the blend of digital and physical, uh, there is going to, in any techno, te tectonic shift of this nature, you will found the same trend that education sector lags behind. Universities and schools are not preparing people for skills today. And that is that shift in the education sector has always been slow. Uh, this time it will be a little bit faster because, you know, uh, thanks to digital, education sector itself is reinventing itself and getting faster. Uh, but again, uh, there will be that lag time between what is required in terms of skills in the digi-physical world uh, versus what is uh, churning out of academia right now. Uh, and that gap, to some extent, can be addressed by companies redefining how they spend their employee development. That's great. Rajiv, one quick question again on and what we I am personally facing on many of our investment into digital startups and ventures is that a lot of people are jumping jobs in India. It's not resignation. They're res resigning and they're jumping for a better opportunity or higher pay packet or whatnot. And salaries over here have gone to an unsustainable level. Mm -hmm. That itself is a challenge because we can't sustain a startup or a venture with such high salaries mm -hmm. for an experience which is not commensurate with their skills and what they can deliver to the employers. How are we going to now manage this sort of crisis in India, especially? Well, again, it is pretty normal in any tectonic shifts because the people with the skills of tomorrow are few and far between. Even if those skills are not perfect, let you take digital literacy, right? Uh, somebody half, half literate in digital is better than somebody totally illiterate in digital, right? So people Correct. who have to some extent, the skills for tomorrow are in very high demand. And that was true when electricity was invented, when we went from mechanical to electrical and so forth, as I mentioned earlier, and that's happening now. Good talent has always been in demand in a churning economy. And that's what's happening right We just have to wait it out. Uh, and eventually, the forces of demand and supply will take over. Technology is also can also be deflationary. You see, because uh, technology, what it does is it, it puts power in the hands of the common man. And you see the certain things that we used to pay tons and tons of money for in the recent past are now free. So eventually, even here, the market forces will level itself out. Raji, I want you to give a message to people in their mid-career who were in physical, now want to enter the digi-physical, what you have coined, hmm. economy. And how do they want to, you know, make this tectonic shift to the other side? Mm -hmm. And there are many people who are stuck in this uh, rut. You know, I am seeing some CVs of people who are been at home for last one and a half years. They lost their job pre-pandemic and now they are not able to get back to a job. They're trying to skill themselves up. They're trying to look at lateral moves. They're trying to look at lower positions and so on and so forth. 
And obviously, they were not prepared. And like what we talked about in our last, you got to prepare for leadership five years or 10 years ahead of what, what it is. These people never were ready or were never accepted that this was going to come in the future. And now it is, it's a reality in front of them. What's your key message to them? Well, you know, I don't know if I have a, a something new and profound here that if, if you have if you hadn't woken up in the last five years uh, to see that the world around you was changing, if you hadn't asked yourself five years ago, what is going to get me out of my job and how can I prepare myself? Now it's already too late. Correct. Right. No, number one. So so, uh, you know, what you have to do is you have to really ask yourself if, if, if let's say you missed the bus. Now you have to say, OK, fine. What can I do? Which sector can I get into? And even though it is a bit late, I have to reinvent myself. What should I learn and what should I go into? That There is no universal formula. You just have to figure out what's right for you. The other thing that I would like to comment on is this. People who are making the transition to digital and digital, et cetera, successfully, I see two kinds of people. One, and, and you know, like you, I'm also a small time, uh, you're a big time, but I'm a small time investor in startups. Uh, in the, I, when I look at st startup opportunities to invest in, I look at the words that the founders are using. If the founder is saying, I want to be the next unicorn, my goal is to become the next unicorn. And this is the technology and this is the business model and this is the app that's going to get me there. Uh, and please invest with me because you will get rich with me. And trust me, I immediately switch off. Mm. Instead, the second type of person says, I have this idea and I'm, in the, I'm trying to work something which is actually going to make the world a better place. Uh, because, you know, here is the pain point in society and this is what we are going to do. You're, you're only a point. Things are getting so bloody expensive for everything. Here's what we are going to remove the pain point. This is what we're going to introduce to the world, which is going to make lives better. I immediately have the attention. They also want to become unicorns, but they are not starting with that aim. Being a unicorn for them is a byproduct of changing the world. Right. And my message to people is that, you know, you please be like that. Don't start with becoming a unicorn. Right. Ajeev, I want to now bring up a very big issue about this whole meta universe and all this meta meta. Metaverse, yeah. Yeah. And especially the millennials and post millennials, they're not adequately equipped to interact with people. And in one of our podcasts, this came around that they are living in their virtual world. Mm -hmm. So disjointed to the physical world that they don't even know how to interact with their peers or their employers or or their other friends and family they are just so disjointed and with this facebook and all these people now trying to create the next wave of whatever their growth ideas into this metaverse uh, digital universe or and, and avatars and whatnot is this not dehumanizing people and employees? Employers are going to have a bigger challenge. Yes, I completely agree with you. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm getting on in age myself, but I'm a big fan of technology. I try to keep in touch with technology and I'm a user of technology and love the future world rather. So I usually embrace technology very, very um, openly. But I recently saw, you know, you saw the, everybody saw the Mark Zuckerberg talking about Metaverse, but yeah. then Microsoft is also talking about Metaverse. I saw another video of Satya Nadella talking to his, uh, one of his clients, which was, I think, either Accenture or one of the big firms, and how they are bringing this whole avatar thing into uh, the Metaverse. And uh, you will have a near real experience if you attend the meeting as an avatar. I think that defeats the purpose already. Already people are saying that we have Zoom fatigue and we have Microsoft Teams fatigue, right? Because there's nothing like yeah. uh, meeting in person. Uh, and, uh, and and even though you're watching a live video, it's still not the same thing and people are craving to meet in person. 
And now they are saying, they're proudly saying, well, I don't want to be on video all the time. Uh, instead of me being live on video, I will put an avatar. Now, how is that going to help with relationship? How is that me talking to your avatar? How is that going to bring me closer to you just because there's some AI which has the facial expressions of the avatar matching with what you are saying? I mean, I think we're going crazy here a little. As the world gets more digital, what's going to become what's going to become even more premium is the human experience. Get it. So as a human resource specialist and you have written a lot about on different aspects, this whole metaverse is not the future of work then. Oh, no, I didn't say that. I, I, I think the metaverse is a fantastic opportunity. I think it's going to enable things that we have not even thought about right now. Overall, it's going to be very positive. But this thing about hiding behind an avatar to interact with people, uh, and, and, and these companies are selling us this technology as the next big thing, and you will feel like you are in the room and this, that, and the other. Uh, I think that is getting a bit, uh, they, they are doing, these companies are doing it to self-serve their own products. Uh, what we need is more human interaction. Digital does not mean you stop learning, you, you forget how to communicate it in, in real flesh and blood because that part of humanity is not gonna change. You see, uh, we interact with each other in face-to-face -face because our mirror neurons talk to each other. We feel for each other. Uh, and mirror okay. neurons work very slowly when I'm watching your video. And if I'm watching your avatar, they will walk, they will exchange even more slowly. It's basic uh, biology. Right, and so the so, empathy factor will be Exactly. Just out so of I, it. So I think this, uh, again, it comes back to values and purpose. What technology are you pushing? Because you are so powerful, you have the billions and trillions of dollars to do anything you want. Uh, and because this technology is going to make you money, you're going to say that this is the next big thing. If the biggest thing that happened to humanity, please look at this with right values and right purpose because the world is watching you. Uh, all the big tech I'm talking to right now. I am a big fan of big tech, by the way. Right. I think by and large, they've made lives better for us in so many ways. But we've also right. had uh, unscrupulous things like selling our data uh, and then offering technologies that actually uh, do more harm than good. Rajiv, before I go, I want one issue that we have not picked up is the women workforce. Mm -hmm. And they've gone through a lot in terms of, you know, the glass ceiling and different things in the previous physical uh, economy era. How is the women workforce participation and their leadership going to transform or change in the physical digital era now? Well, you know, women tend to have uh, tend to be better at uh, empathy than men. Correct. And I think that the more we are working at a distance, empathy is the is the tragedy, right? And so I think in the digital world, women are, women leaders are naturally better placed because everybody is feeling the lack of the human touch. Everybody is feeling the lack of right. the empathy because what physical proximity does is makes us feel that empathy, right? So I think women uh, are better than men at doing that. So this um, this could be a huge opportunity for women. I've always maintained that women make better leaders than men if they want to. And I think now uh, more than ever, their skills are going to be at the fore. And obviously, if the whole flexibility of work and, and all those things are, are available, they can definitely put in time to work and also look after family or their children, which obviously are sometimes their priority and they have to actually get out of the workforce for a few years just to look out of those priorities. Now they can actually be flexible and have a purpose, personal purpose, as well as family purpose, as well as a work purpose. Absolutely. And that is true for both men and women. And, but the thing is, as we are providing more flexibility to the workforce, what a lot of corporations are getting wrong is, oh, I'll allow you to work from home, but I will monitor you. Uh, mm. you know, some, some, some are even monitoring keyboard activity. 
uh, okay. like that. that is the wrong approach. What you have to do with providing such flexibility is, as I mentioned earlier, with the freedom within the framework uh, performance management system, is put the onus and responsibility back on the employee. I'm giving you this trust. I'm giving you this flexibility. You decide how much you want to work or how little you want to work, and we will have a contract accordingly between uh, employer and employee. Uh, put the responsibility back on them, rather than policing them remotely. Rajiv, I want to summarize what we talked. So this whole resignation pandemic is just a tectonic shift. People uh, who are stressed out, wanting a shift in their career, lateral or otherwise, it's just a reskilling issue and it will uh, lead to the people transforming into a better workforce in the digital era that is now or physical digital era that you mentioned that are going to be a, a reality now in the new normal post pandemic. And obviously organizations also have to focus in ensuring that there is proper engagement and a proper pay for performance uh, management in place to better engage their employees. Correct? Mm -hmm. Rajiv, I want your parting comment before I let you go. And one more comment for, you know, the kids who have faced this pandemic and have now gone to colleges, my daughter being one of them, and they're thoroughly confused what the future after four years, once they step out of college, is really going to look like. So um, first, the general comment for uh, the things that we've talked about, that, you know, the era of control, for hundreds of years, the most of management and leadership theory and practice has all been designed to control human resource. That era is over. You cannot control people in a digital age, even though there is digital surveillance and there's death of privacy, but in a remote or hybrid working environment, you cannot control people. The whole of leadership and management needs to reinvent itself to work on the principles of trust and freedom. And the good news is that you can do it and it will increase productivity, but you need to be secure in your skin to be able to give up control. So that's the big shift in, in, in leadership and management that's taking place. For the young people that are coming out of colleges and things like that, my own, I only have one message. Think less about net worth and think more about life worth. What mm. is my life going to be worth? We measure ourselves in terms of net worth. I've got so many millions and I've got this much and I've got 18% return or 26% return on my portfolio and this, that and the other. We keep talking net worth, net worth, net worth. Prioritize life worth over net worth. Ask yourself the question, because I will live on this planet for 100 years, how will the world be a slightly better place through my work and through my living on this planet? And therefore, what will be my life worth? I guarantee if you shift the focus from net worth to life worth, your net worth needs will take care of them amply. The more, the more you the less you chase money and material, the more you will get if you focus on life worth. That's a great parting comment for the youngsters. And it is not just the net worth, but also the network these days because they are all preparing themselves for that metaverse and all the social media. So everybody is out there for network these days. Yeah. So. It's both, I would say. Yeah. Rajiv, it's always a pleasure talking to you, clarifying the great resignation pandemic, which has confused the hell out of a lot of people and employers as well. I'm glad we spoke about this topic and at least clarified where we, the whole world is moving and where the employee and employer relationship is moving and where the employers are going to seek their happiness in the future. As always, I would love to thank our sponsors, our team that has put this whole podcast together. And I look forward to meeting you soon in India over a cup of coffee or a quick drink and have dinner with you perhaps. Wonderful. Thank you very much for having me on the show, Kapil. Always a pleasure talking to you and let's keep in touch. Thank you.
Thank you so much, Rajiv. God bless and stay safe. Right, take care.